I'm James Pikeway. I'm Paul Kelly. And welcome to Know Your Audience, the micro mini podcast series. Uh, Paul, great to see you again. Good to be back. Thanks, James. How you been? I've been unpacking everything we've been talking about. And now I'm constantly looking at grocery stores. I'm looking at retailers and I'm trying to figure out what kind of research they've done and trying to yeah. figure out if they've gotten it right. <laughs> figure out who's gaming you. Exactly. And it, with that whole mindset in play, it just got me thinking that when we had an opportunity to sit back down, as we're doing now, to start thinking about this whole universe of research that we're, we've opened up the door to and what gets in the way of every organization starting to adopt some level and some form of AI-enabled data collection. Yeah. Well, I think um, it's an interesting point, James, because I think there's a, quite a lot of reasons, but a lot of them are, are often just organizational and, and the lack of, I guess, embracing change. Probably uh, well-founded, you might say, uh, skepticism towards towards some versions of AI because they've been... For instance, a decision maker has been to a conference and heard someone talk and it sounded complex or sounded far-fetched. To some degree, I think as we've touched on in previous episodes, we've always, or sorry, in our day-to-day life, not always, recently, have embraced AI without necessarily knowing it by using our smartphones, by using predictive text, by using uh, Gmail. If you use Gmail, you'll know that feature quite well. Driving a car, for instance, if you're using uh, almost all modern cars now have some sort of collision detection system, that type of thing. Even parking sensors, to some degree, are smart. Um, so is it just trust, Paul? Yeah, it is. And, and 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 what people don't realize is all that stuff that you use every day, like programming your, you know, your smart, smart watch yeah. or whatever, it's the same technology. It's just being used for a different purpose. And I think trust comes into it in the sense of, We've always done things a certain way. We've always gone and interviewed people. Well, that, that, so let's back up for a second. When we when we think about doing research, and I've got a product. We've talked about different products throughout this series, and I want to now find out why are people averse to my product? Why are they buying the other guys? Or what do people really want from this thing? You've really nailed it here in that we've got a stable set of tools and and our guests have spoken about this that we've been using for a hundred years. Do you think it comes down to just comfort level? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And, and, and I guess, you know, it's good to be skeptical, I guess, of, of new technology and don't necessarily want to be an early adopter for it not to necessarily work out for you. And that's fine, I think. But we're sort of beyond that stage now. I think we're well beyond early adopter anyway. Um, and we're probably still in a you know very nascent phase of, of utilizing technology for understanding people better. But yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's definitely a case of that's how we've always done it, resistance to change. It's too much to understand, I think, for, every, for a lot of people. I'm not being facetious. I'm not being um, dismissive. Sometimes things are made very technical that don't need to be made very technical. And if you're able to see the underlying data where where things where conclusions have been drawn and you might have various objections for instance for doing this sort of research and i almost by the way guarantee that finance departments in the very same company are using ai to to go over daily transactions they're not there's nobody there anymore sitting coding manual transactions in a ledger anymore machines do that for us it's a, a given now that's not even questioned that there's ai technology helping us with accounting for instance but in in the consumer insights or research or, or product understanding or marketing functions it's still a bit of healthy skepticism 
but we we're moving beyond the realm i think of of it being an uh, an early thing and and being able to embrace the change but understand the technology um is a leap and it's not a leap that people necessarily need to make you don't need to know how the code comes up with it you just need to understand i guess on a basic level how it works and whether it's right for you and uh to be able to see the underlying data as well and that's I mean, those three things should counter most objections because I think most market research people, at least that we talk to, um, have a healthy skepticism of how things have been done forever. So they're, they're more like, well, we know people lie, we kn- not intentionally, but we know people lie when we ask them questions. We know they don't behave how they do every day when, they, when we visit their houses and, and that type of thing. Um, we know that, <laughs> but there's nothing else. And it's like, well, te- there is a technologically advanced way that we can do this. In one sense, I'm, I'm going back to what Faisal said in a previous episode. There's a healthy medium of new technologies and old tried and true techniques being used. I want to you know, stay in this vein for a second. And I know you're saying that, it's, that this technology is being adopted by companies. It's being used in a variety of different departments. We're using it every day and we don't realize it. I wonder when we talk about the uptake of this technology and the use of AI for audience sentiment research, do you think in a sense that it's a young person's game at this point? Yeah, no, I, I, I think so. And I, I think it's a complex question because there's organizational barriers. There's also personal barriers. And then there's also previous disappointment. So an example of what I mean by that would be something like a a social listening platform where you have to enter the queries yourself. So you have to enter the Boolean style operators. Basically, you got to know how to do that to get it right to begin with. So first of all, you got to have an an understanding of, I guess, of advanced querying, like and or those types of functions, um, as well as understanding that you may have inherent biases in the keywords that you select to find the information. I would suggest respectfully to most people who would listen to this that probably six out of ten cases don't work out with social listening because of that six out of ten yeah and it's qualitative there's no quantitative element to that but there is it's not the homework hasn't been done it's complicated like you you need to understand how a query operator works and you also need to understand how to spot your own biases and that you're not looking for you're not using it for confirmation bias of a you know i think because my friends um use i don't know eggs on their face that that that's the trend and i should be you know i should be recommending that to my boss that we start marketing eggs as a face treatment rather than a food or something you know obviously an absurd example but i'm just saying it could be three literally three people who have that conversation in your circle of friends and you suddenly think oh that's a trend and you start to look for confirmation of that that's the risk of those sort of things And, and unless you have some training to at least spot that um, and also the training to construct these queries properly, then you'll be a bit disappointed. Um, and and so I think a lot of the time there's there's a skepticism towards, for instance, using social as a data source because of that reason, because I because I don't know how to use it. Um, it's not working out properly for me. And, and that's reflective then of, of all solutions within this space. That's what happens. So it's not necessarily potentially a youth thing um, or, or at least being a digital native versus a digital adopter versus somebody who started their work before the digital era, for example. Like I don't think it's as much that because I think a lot of people, particularly older people, understand that technology enables things that just weren't possible before, whereas younger people potentially take it a lot more for granted. So I think 
I don't think that's like a, an enormous barrier, but I think w- previous disappointment perhaps with, with various tools or platforms does become a barrier and introduces some skepticism, which I say is healthy. I think it's healthy to be skeptical about um, where the information that you're getting to make decisions comes from and the validity of that. But, you know, you also have to trust it when you see it. How, how do you talk to people about the fact that by using these tools, you are opening up the potential to be examining an extraordinary number of data points and getting a, a huge amount of information that other forms of research that one might have in their tool chest, surveys, interviews, observation, much fewer data points. How do you talk to people about understanding that you're going to have to do some work to bring that very large field into a manageable plane? I think, first of all, that, that the numbers are beyond sort of some comprehension. And what I mean by that would be that, you know, if you're talking about millions of people, it doesn't make, it, it's a hard to comprehend. It's a bit like saying, you know, how much does a, a million dollars weigh? You know, there might be 1% of the population who's who's felt that in their hands before, but nobody else has, right? Um, particularly, the, I guess, these days with everything, numbers are on a screen. But um, w- what I mean by that is that um, I think there's there's a, a large proportion of people who sort of get to that number and go, wow, that's impressive, but, you know, how is it any different to 2000? And that's when you start to say, well, we have to start to look at the data. We have to, we have to transform that data. We have to, we have to understand it, but what it gives us is a bigger cross-section. So you're taking a representative sample of say, I don't know, a hundred people our representative sample is a couple of hundred thousand. Um, we can be, we can have a greater degree of confidence in the outcomes. Um, there's not really false positives because we're not sort of dealing with people who answer questions on a professional basis. Uh, we're not dealing with people who are acting differently in front of us. In fact, we're observing people over a long period of time. So I think we've touched on historical data or trended data, as it's called in market research. Um, and that gives you a greater confidence about the, the validity, I guess, of, of, of the numbers and, and the size of the audience, but it can be difficult to comprehend, a bit like huge numbers that we might read about federal budgets as well, you know, like the US federal budget is seven trillion or whatever. Like, <laughs> what is that? You know what <laughs> what it, does that yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and that, 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 that's a very similar scenario, I think, when you sort of say to somebody, well, look, we've looked at 240,000 people in this survey. It's like, well, you, you can't mentally, I mean, that's three large size stadiums, right? Uh, it becomes sort of a, a little bit impossible to comprehend, but then it gives you that extra degree of confidence about the outcomes and the re- recommendations and the, the actual trends that you're seeing are legitimately there. And, that, and that's a huge step. Look, I, I know in your, own, in your own organization, you've had clients come and go. Is, is there a point with, this type of research, is there a group who, who might not actually need it? There is a space, I think, for everybody. Uh, it's very different set of circumstances that somebody might use it across different industries. But if you sell anything to anybody, whether that's another business or it's a person or, well, it's only going to be one of those two things, right? You, If, if you do those two things then you can benefit from understanding customer a lot better and that's that's a number of things you need to know who your customer is to sell to them 
So it's, I guess, the baseline of selling, selling 101. But also it's about honing your products, understanding if your product has a fit, the market, is there a market there? What do people think of your brand? Brand obviously equals sales. There's lots of things where that's beneficial. And I think that's across the spectrum from somebody setting up in their home, making cakes or selling and selling on Instagram through to through to multi-million dollar, multi-billion dollar, sorry, international companies. There is a space for it. That being said, uh, what you spend on it obviously has a very different set of outcomes. And, you know, if you don't have the budget, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You should be using the baseline of marketing, the core marketing principles to reach as many people as you can so people can think about your brand and understand your brand and understand your product and, and just and go from there. Um, so I guess if you're talking about people starting out, it probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but it might also make a lot of sense to do some trend watching a number of good platforms available. I think we've touched on it before that might be, I don't know, 50 bucks a month or something like that. You could do that for a couple of months and, and get some great results and understand what some trends are or some emerging trends that could fit to your market. Um, also, when you sell directly to people, you have a better idea of what they actually want. So, But when you're talking about shifting cans of soft drink um, across hundreds of thousands of retailers in, in the tens of millions in quantity, then you don't have that ability as much. You get feedback, but, you know, it's it's not the same. And then, yeah, I think in terms of who's it right for and who's it not right for, it depends on the organizational embrace of that, to be honest, James. So people have to be embracing technology. It has to be a technology-forward organization because it just doesn't, it just doesn't gel if you're a – I think we can all picture perhaps – I'm going to use a, a stereotypical example of perhaps a, a bank or a – engineering company or something like that, that that might be a bit more traditional, less digital. The most digital they are is, is perhaps emails and things like that. And we, we know there's, you know, everybody tries to transform and everything like that, but just some organizations don't have that technology mind in. And if you don't, you're going to be probably skeptical of the data to begin with. And that's going to cause problems when you try and adopt it because you're always going to be second guessing the data and what's in front of you and you'll go with your own biases or and opinions and so i think it doesn't work in that circumstance but by and large it's for everybody it's just different scales require different things and if you're starting on your journey then most definitely i would recommend looking at trends and things like that but perhaps you know a small software as a service type platform that's not going to cost you the earth just to aggregate trends on instagram or tiktok or whatever get an idea of who who's buying what where and close your account and use that knowledge to help hone your messages. And then I guess at the other end of the spectrum, it's about if you if you really embrace technology and you're already skeptical of your consumer understanding, then embrace the technology and that will, that will change everything. I, I'm just amazed at how fast this area is evolving. And, uh, you know, as we've talked about just with the, the Arabic language and going across dialects and how quickly the technology is learning and the ability to give me insight that I can make better decisions with. And, and as you said, whether it's a mom and pop in the basement or a multi-billion dollar corporation, the entry levels and the ability to scale is so easy and, and affordable. Exactly. And I think the analogy before when you know, we were discussing an earlier earlier point about accounting software. 
it's the same thing. So there, some of that stuff is built for mum and pops in the basement, you know, to keep their keep track of their sales tax or or um, keep track of the low amount of transactions that they have. And you know, that's nine or ten bucks a month or something like that. And that world was previously unattainable, not even that long ago. So 10 years ago, uh, there wasn't really the software that could just connect up to your bank account, code all your transactions. And, you know, most, most, uh, like imagine saying to a, a mum and pop business, maybe even five years ago, look, you can take mobile payments from your phone, from a card payments, you know, it's it, the stuff has just changed immensely. And that adoption of that technology is sort of without, question <laughs> and and then and then on our side of the fence i guess uh, it, it's a it's a little slower and that's mostly because as we've discussed in previous episodes it's been done this way for generations now so so there's a there's a shift that has to happen and that shift is is very much linked to to how technological a company is i what i find interesting is looking at at different companies and and we've talked about this in the past and in season one actually you had a great example of a company who was had had issues with a product and you ran an ai model on it and said here's the problem and they said no it can't be <laughs> and so then they went they went back and validated your suggestions through literally doing in-person observation and then came back and said, you were right. And I think to me that that becomes kind of the glue in that the AI tools can work very well with the traditional tools to add some validation and actually open up the insight because as, as you said, their data was their their traditional data was all over the place and they couldn't account for why people weren't buying this product that they should have been buying. Yeah. Yeah. And it was I think in that in that particular circumstance, it, it informed the brief for the traditional research. It informed the brief. It reframed the brief for marketing then to go back with and think about the messaging and, and how, you know, certain things were being talked about, how education was, you know, it just it just opens up and tightens briefs. And, and for the, the outlay and the cost, the future sales returns become immeasurable against that outlay. Uh if that makes sense. So the small outlay it costs for the insight has an outweighed return uh, in sales. And that just, once, once, once that's seen, then widespread adoption of, of technology becomes obviously much easier. There's no barriers. But also, as you say, it just informs more traditional methods to make them tighter, to know where to start looking, and then to, to make sure that the, the answers uh, can be validated. And if they are validated, then it's it's great. And if they're not, then what's wrong and, and who's right? <laughs> um, and it's a lot easier to work out that way, you know, rather than just hearsay, you've got the data. What, what I find interesting is that if we're talking about sentiment of a user of something, yeah, I can sit and I can watch them. That's usually expensive on my time to then transcribe my, my observations, put it all together, present it to you. Whereas we've got this great tool that can look at what's going on across thousands of data points via our socials to see, well, what are people liking? What aren't people liking? Why are they liking it? Why aren't they liking it? Looking at the images, looking at the emojis, and in, in the case of the Arabic world, playing with the dialects. So suddenly, I, I, it, it makes me giddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just opening a bigger world, and I think that's the most important part of, of I guess, what was what we're saying is, 
you can get access to information. Everyone has access to information. What you do with that information and what's next with that information is the most critical part. Um, we've talked about that multiple times that data is literally information. You, it, it's not, it doesn't, it's not an insight until somebody looks and understands and, and finds the why as to a certain behavior, a certain attitude, a certain whatever it is, the why becomes critically important. And I think that's what technology enables us to do at a much faster speed and a much bigger scale and a much more interesting way and, and enables us to, to know, well, like the title of the podcast, know the audience. And once you know your audience, no matter what you're doing, then you become successful. I, I look forward to our, our future episodes where we're going to sit down and have conversations with people who are using these tools and talk about the use of the tools in the context of what they're doing. And I'm really interested in what made them jump in, what, what they're getting out of it. Because to me, the biggest challenge becomes, I've now got all this data. Do I have information overload? And how do I know where to scale? in that that data and i i think talking to people who are doing it opens the door to others who are who are skeptical who are on the fence or who are are trying to imagine how this applies to them yeah no it's very exciting and i think yeah there's an unlimited potential and and sometimes that's a barrier in the sense that the the potential is infinite so you have to be very focused but once you once you sort of once you are once you know what you want or what know what you need or know what your problem is then obviously the it becomes a lot easier to solve. Paul, this has been a lot of fun, and I think we've we've nicely brought together our our two our, our two seasons in a sense with a nice pivot to where we're going to go in, in future episodes. So, I I look forward to sitting down and and doing more of these. Thank you very much. Thanks, James. Really appreciate it. I'm James Pikeaway. I'm Paul Kelly, and this is the Know Your Audience Micro Mini Podcast.